Okay, last week, or last year, which was a few weeks ago, um, we gave a general introductory definition of one of the, of, of what it means as the tachlis of a parent. Thank you very much. The um, Hainu, we, we discussed um, the basic idea that in life you always have to have a plan, um, that if you just are a parent by accident, and not a parent by design, you can make a lot of accidents. And you can, um, and that uh, we mentioned the basic idea that sof maaseh b'machshav that uh, we always have to think about what we want, what we want to accomplish in life. In Kiddusha Hachana, there's no holiness without preparation. Um, that, that to the Ribono Sha'olam, all that the, the seventh, all the Shvi'iyos are holy, that uh, we always, the, the seventh always represents the Tachlis. And we have to really think about what are the goals of parenting. We went around the room. We had uh, people talk, talk about what they want to their kids. And, and I suggested that um, while we all want very similar things in a, in a broad way, happy, healthy, productive, functioning, curious, spiritual, material, uh, materially successful, bright, brilliant children, but I suggested the Nakuda that that's really a byproduct that's a byproduct of what, of what the job of a parent is. That the essential job of a parent, um, that's a litmus test if you're, one is a successful parent, but the essential job of the parent, we said we really, we suggested two ideas and we, to, we gave sources for those two ideas. Um, and one was the idea, anybody remember what we said uh, last, uh, last time, a few weeks ago? If you don't remember, please understand. I didn't remember until I reviewed myself. So, no, it's it's, it's totally fine. Uh, what, I, I have a little... is one of these. Like <laughs> she's like, what well, she did well in school, right? <laughs> no, yeah. Um, the most important aspect of Panach is transmitting the Masora and uh, you know helping them be close to Hashem. And that's based on on the idea that Hashem says to Avram Avinu. Hashem says about Avram, I love him, and I love him. Because he transmits, you know, to the to the next generation, and Avraham Avinu is the only person in the whole of Tanakh that is called the lover of God, Avraham Ohavi, right, lover of God, and um, and we looked at that pasuk in Rashi, and and then Hashem says, I'm going to share my secrets with Avraham, right, because the confidant of God is the one who is so crazy about the Ribbon Shalom that he wants to transmit it to the next generation. Right? That was the that's a very important insight into the way Hashem looks at people who are mechanich their children. That's a ki yadativ l'man asher yitzavis bonavis beis etc. Okay, good. That was one. That was one basic concept that we sort of developed. And what what other? Um, that we are gardeners for and Beautiful. That's, that's that's my favorite line of the whole shir. That we are gananim, right? In the in the Gan Hashem, and the implication that idea comes somewhere. Remember where that uh, the Sefer comes from? A Sefer called the Chovas Hatalmidim, written by the Piazetzner Rebbe. And the basic concept that we that, that he developed is: if I look at my children in the here and now, and I see a cranky, cantankerous, obnoxious, the Chule child without recognizing that within that child is found the tremendous ability of channeling and, and sublimating to something great. If I look at the child, without, if I'm the child in the here and now, without an eye to the future, then I'm doing a terrible disservice to the child. That chinuch requires the recognition that what we're dealing with in the language that he uses is the boser, the boser is the unriped fruit, right? And that unripe fruit is supposed to be bitter before it becomes sweet. And that bitterness and that recognition of the challenge frames um, the endeavor of parenting in a totally different way. Uh, it doesn't make it easier in the moment, but in, if one thinks about it in a deep way, what they want to accomplish when they're mechanech, so then they're looking, they're forward, they're forward focused. 
um, and we, d- we developed that idea also. Right? That was the that was the second basic definition of parenting. And the the way that we said it was: you're being motzi mina koach elapoal, motzi mina koach elapoal. You're taking from the potential to the actual. And we said it also in a scientific psychological way that uh, Rabbi Tversky, Rabbi Abraham Tversky, uh, points out that the only cells that do not regenerate are the are the brain cells, that man is born with 14 and a half billion brain cells, um, and those brain cells create, welcome, welcome, those, it's wonderful to, to see you, and, the, and, and that, uh, and those brain cells um, are, we, we, uh, sure, um, really represent the idea that people um, are born with predispositions, uh, people are born with, uh, with with innate challenges, um, and the idea that a child is a tabula rasa, that a child is a blank slate, and they come in, you know, uh, they come in, you're, they're totally a function of nurture, is quickly dispelled, at least if you have a second child, right? Because you know that that second child is very different than the first child. Um, and even if they came at the same time, very often they're different than the other child, right? Um, even twins can be vastly different. And, um, and therefore, the notion of being motzi minakoach elapoal, to take from the potential to the actual, is another critical definition of parenting, right? Um, um, I think I shared a few stories in that vein as well um, in, la- in the last year. So that, those, were the two, those were the two basic concepts that we presented. And then, um, I think, <laughs> I didn't go over the recording, so I, I think we also said, uh, that it's very important to distinguish between, um, you know, nachas as a byproduct um, versus uh, investing in your child because you want nachas. Or as Rabbi Abraham Tversky says, the distinction between um, ego, inve- ego involvement and investing in your child. Um, I shared the story of one of my Talmidim years ago when I went to his bar mitzvah, he was a ninth grade bar mitzvah boy. That's a very uncommon thing. And they put the Harvard cap on him um, when he, during the bar mitzvah. It's a very subtle message of what we expect from you. And I remember when he went to 12th grade and he didn't get into Harvard. Right? I remember picking up those pieces. Um, and if we view our children as a source of parental enhancement, then we're, going, we're in for a very, very difficult ride. And that selflessness, the beautiful um, expression that Hannah uses when she names her child, Shmuel is, This child is on loan. I don't own my children. I, I don't have the children. In, in Hebrew, the word for having, bailus, this type of this concept of be'alim, or, or being an owner, is not used in the context of children. But children... Um, are born to me. They are born to me, but they are not mine. They are not mine. I don't have ownership. Um, and in fact, in halacha, just a, just an interesting thing. In halacha, uh, a child, a katan, for the most part, who is mazik, a katan, a young child who causes damage, the parents don't have to pay for that child's damages halachically. I'm not talking about American law, etc. But pigiyasan ra'a, the Gemara says that involvement with them can be very negative because if they da- if you damage them, you have to pay. But if they damage you, they don't have to pay. Um, and the parents don't have to pay. That's a general rule. It's not a 100% uh, accurate general rule um, because the parents don't own the child. And that has a lot of implications. Um, and uh, one of the points that we made last, last time was that uh, ch- children don't want to be viewed as a nachas machine. You know, that's uh, it's something to be very, very careful. And the last point, just to review the shir, is that I, I think I said this, and if I didn't, then I, well, it's a good segue to the point of, uh, to how I want to start the shir today, is that when you say to your child, I love you, that's like a shahakal. A shahakal is a bracha, but it's the lowest bracha. I love you is a beautiful thing. You know, as some, as you, you are young parents, Baruch Hashem, and you should all be zochet to, 
to have many, many wonderful parenting experiences. I have three wonderful children, each one special, special children. Um, it is one of my greatest joys and pleasures when I finish my phone call and I say to my children, I love you, to wait for a moment or two to see will there be any response. And from my daughter, bless her soul, uh, usually there is a response. And from my uh, by boys, one who's married and one who's uh, 20, uh, every once, once every 20 times, there'll be a, a there'll be a mutterance, a mutterance, it's my new, my new word, a mutterance of, uh, you know, that sounds vaguely familiar to I love you. And, uh, but it, when it comes, it's a, it's a lot of a, I have to overcome a lot to say that. Um, it, and, and it's an interesting thing when I, and I call my parents and, uh, I speak to my parents, uh, not infrequently. Um, and they almost always say, I love you. And for me, I say, I love you a lot, but it's not, it's, it's still not, and maybe girls can't understand what I'm saying, but the guys that could get a little more, it's not as easy. It's not as easy. Um, but when you say, I love you, um, when I say it's like a shahakal to a child, it doesn't mean all that much if you keep on saying it, but your actions and your sort of, your general sentiments um, don't give an indication of that reality. And therefore, one of the things that I want to talk about tonight is to get a little bit more tachlis oriented. Um, yes, last, last year was definition. And now to get a little bit more practical, children mamish crave parents, parenting, gedorim, boundaries. We live in a generation where parents, many of them, have abdicated their parental role to be friends. I'll share with you a story. I could share with you many stories in this regard. Um, I don't want to get to... Oh, this is past it. Okay, um, I taught in Eula uh, for 20 years. Uh, some people in the Zoom that might remember that. It was okay not to have me. That's why we have a good relationship. And uh, so I, I, towards the end, they put in computers into the kids' hands, and then they gave the... The ability to lock the kids' computers is a cool system, but then the kids always figure out how to unlock it. So it's always like basically it's the constant battle between you know intelligence and counterintelligence and all that, and and they're always like one step ahead of you. So the Facebook was closed, but but HTTPS Facebook wasn't closed, and it's like a whole whole thing, you know. So one point I just uh, closed the kids' computer and I took the computer away, and. Um, and I said, uh, I'm taking it away, and you'll get it back like in a week or something like that. Whatever. That did not make me a very popular uh, rabbi with those kids. And I, and to, to cover myself professionally and to do the right thing, I called the parents. We have three kids. I called the parents. I want you to know I took your kid's computer away. We'll get it back in a day or two, whatever it was. So two of the three parents, both said, uh, those two said to me, thank you very much. Can you just, like, um, could you hold on to the computer and like, just keep it? You just, you just like, you know, not give it back to them. So I said, what do you mean? He said, yeah, the computer is like, uh, it's it's terrible. It's, it takes over the, the life and, you know, and it's completely distracting and they don't know how to control it. It controls them. Somebody just Taka sent me an email. I'll send it to you if you ask, remind me after this year. It's called The Second Wife. And so a woman writing about how she's the second wife to her husband's cell phone. <laughs> Not even that the cell phone's the second wife. She's the second wife. And the first wife is very classy, and it's sleek, and it's stylish, and it's constantly changing. And you can be mechadish, the wife, and it's all, you know, every few years, have a new, get a new wife, you know. And so, so I said to the parent, so new, I hear what you're saying, so why don't you just take it away? You know, the computer's not mandatory. So he said, no, I can't do that. So in other words, parents very often, and I'm not judging because it could be that's the nature of their matter, parents very often feel compromised and are not able to set the dorum. And you, people I'm looking at here, are part of the younger generation, um, and it's harder and harder to set the dorum. It's harder and harder to set boundaries. And um, children crave boundaries. Even when they complain, they crave boundaries. Mashal the Mahadavar Dome can be compared to, you know, some of some people here might have some slight fear of heights, been to Grand Canyon, you know, and when I go to the Grand Canyon or these places like Bryce and Zion, whatever, so every there are some places where there's no gate around it, you know, the peaks, and some places where there are. Right? When there's a gate around the peak, you can go all the way to the edge. 
right? When there isn't, so he could be a macho man. I'm not, I'm not as a macho man. Um, so I'll go like up to a certain point, and I say, no, that's all I'm going. And if my kids like go a little bit further, no, please, like you know, just for me, you know, like if you have gedarim, if you have boundaries, you can go all the way to the boundary and feel comfortable. If you don't give a kid's boundaries, then you're creating ambiguity, right? You can come back, you can stay till this time. That's great, because I, I don't have to worry until that point in time, right? You can, you know, you can, uh, you know, you have a half hour, you know, uh, playing this game. That's great, okay, I know what I can do. Um, I teach in a small girls' high school. They recently decided to be mocked on the 8-11 rule, which means if you come after 8-11 for davening, davening's 8 o'clock, come after 8-11, then you miss the first period. So, um, you know, whenever you, behavior modification is always hard, and so the first day, the kids weren't so happy about it, and uh, today's like day number three, and the students um, and the, uh, the students were saying, you know, I think they're going to change the dress code from whatever the normal dress code is, like the light blue and the blue skirts, whatever it is, to orange, like, you know, because it's a prison now. You know, the prisoners, et cetera, and they're complaining to 12th graders, but I could tell you, I could be made with all the joking I can be made that they finally appreciated that there's a structure that the, that the that it's not a half it's not half gayless. it's not like like even though they were joking about it that there was a certain yishuv hadas there was a certain sense of feeling good that they live, that they're in a structured environment half kairos what they changed you know, is they decided that if a kid comes late that they missed the first period which means that now kids actually started to come in time for davening. And that means that by 8 o'clock or 8.10, everybody was there, you know. And so it became like a thing. Like we all know that we nobody wants to impose, often people don't want to impose organization on themselves, but when they are organized, they feel good about it. When you organize your child's life, when you create a seder for your child, so then you are giving the child a sense of koach. If, the, if it's hefkerus, if the child is, doesn't know when and what to do, free, what I call free-range parenting, right? So, so then the child very often is really, is, is lost. Children crave parenting. What they, if you, what if you, uh, you know, you can stay until this time, you can have the, the game until this amount. And what if you go over that and... So again, the pratim, the details of consequences, is a, an area that I will not um, be giving to talking about because there are people who've thought this out much better than me, and that's really there's a woman Simi Yellen, she's really worked things out, and people have other ways. There are a lot of whole different, you know. You're saying the parent doesn't hold to it. What no, the pa- yeah? It, oh, so that we'll get to the okay. consistency. So I want to spend the rest of this year to talk about a key principle of parenting. Okay. And um, this principle of parenting is, um, like everything in life, is, um, I don't think I'm going to say any chidushim, but I think um, this principle, if worked on by the parent, will yield tremendous results in the long-term health of the relationship between parent and child. And while I think what I'm about to say is more focused on the men, because for them it's harder um, it's still could die for the woman to hear this point and to think about it. And certainly when you are, when the child is one year old or two years old or three years old, it means one thing. And when the child is seven, eight, ten, fifteen, it means another. But it's still the same principle. The principle in, is called no say ba'ol im chavero, or we would use it, the, the pithy English term is empathy, but it really doesn't properly express um, what, what I have in mind. Or what, what what the Chazal had in mind when they talk about no say ba'ol im chaver, which means to share the burden um, that your friend has. It's an amazing thing in life that if I feel that somebody feels my pain, I feel much better. It's an amazing. It doesn't mean that it solves all the problems, but if I hear that, if I feel that somebody is listening to me and really is feeling and being clued in to my challenges, even if they haven't solved the problem, but there's a tremendous sense that Hashem created in human relationships that if I can share it, if I can share it, um, then I am 
relieved and I feel connected. Chaim Shmulevitz points out the following. I'm going to share some Torah, some practical, some tips, um, some stories. Chaim Shmulevitz um, points out um, something very beautiful. Uh, this is the Torah. Chaim Shmulevitz says that there are four people, Chazal say, that are considered to be like dead. Anybody know who the four are? What's that? An Ani, a poor person, is like dead. Blind person is like that. Good, that's two out of four. One that often people don't get is a mitzora, a person that's called leprosy, leprous for lack of a better term. And the last one is one that does not have children. Chasuche banim, one that does not have children. Of course, this is one of these pieces of Torah that one cannot really say in a public forum because they will often be in places where people don't have children. To be very sensitive to this. So Chaim Shmulevitz says, what's the mechaneha mishutaf? What's the common denominator of these four? What makes these four ki'ilu they are not alive? Any thoughts? What makes these four connected? They're missing um, a major part of their life, which means their career. Okay, good, good. Let's get let's hone in more. Hone in more. Harder to give. Let's go through. So the blind person. He, why is it hard for him to give? He can't see their needs, and he can't. He can't. He, he can't see their pain. So it becomes much harder. Becomes much harder. A person who's blind, right, to clue in to the challenge of somebody else. It happens to be that, like every cloud in Chazal, there are. Ways of overcoming. We all, I, I've shared this story many times, the, the Rosh Hashiva of Chavetz Chaim, of Henoch Libut Zatzal, right? He had no children. But at his funeral, hundreds and hundreds of men tore Kriya because they lost their father. Because he overcame his, his, his natural obstacle not having children, which we'll talk about how this connects, and he connected to many people as a parent. Right? I know of a a fellow who's blind, who is a therapist. And he's a very good one. Uh, Gary Gantrow's brother-in-law, Chaim Bieberfeld. I don't know if you know who it is, but he's, he comes to link and circus with the dog. Yeah. <laughs> so he's an amazing, amazing person. Amazing person. But So a person who's blind, that's one person. A mitzora, halachically, a mitzora is somebody that needs to be apart from people, separate, badad, needs to be separate. A um, ani is someone who really can't give. He can't give. He's, he's needy, right? You can be an ani chazal man with money, but you can be a needy person. That means to say that you're so caught up in your own needs that you really are not, you know, you know. My sashahaya, I'm not making this up. It happened a few days ago. I you know, worried about a certain Talmud slash friend of mine, and I was unable to check up on him, so I sent a person who I know is close to them. I said, could you please go check up on him? He said, no, he said he's not feeling well. I said, no, I don't think that that's just it. Please go check up on him. And he sent me the following text message. He said, I'm too busy dealing with my own pain. I really can't go and help and check him out. Check, out him. check him out. Check out. See how he's doing. He wrote me that, I'm too busy. At least he was honest. <laughs> you know? You know? That's like a very L.A. type of thing. Like, no New York would ever say, like, I'm too busy in my own pain. Like, you're like the, he would just say no. You know, like, it's, it's not like so, uh, like, I can't imagine like an Eastern European, like, you know, outdoor guy saying, you know, I'm processing my pain. Like, <laughs> it's such an L.A. thing. <laughs> but, 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 you know, so that's an honey. He, he can't give because he's so needy. And the fourth one, doesn't have children, it's not in a natural position to be able to give. To give. And what Chaim Shulevit says, all four are unable to connect with human being, human relationships in a serious, significant way. And that is mamish death. That's, that's mamish death. And therefore, the, the parent is, when the parent is, is cluing in to the role of being a parent, what they're really 
need to do is to give life and also the getting life. And that is by being able to share their mitzios hachayim, which I will define, their existential reality, um, by sharing that with a child. How does one do that? Lemaisa, what does that mean to carry and share their burden? So I want to share with you this. I heard this from Rav Shlomo Goldberg, maybe when, when, I, when I, my kids were young, about 20 years ago. And, and this always stuck in my mind. And it turns out that he said in the name of Rav Salanter, um, and I found this on the internet uh, just today, but it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it could be you heard of this. Rav Salanter said that a child who is playing with a toy boat and the boat breaks or gets lost, that child feels as if, as, as the merchant whose ship with all his worldly goods right, has just sunk. I remember when I was a kid, excuse me to probably indulge in this memory, but I, I, for the same three years in a row, I got the same Hanukkah present from, from my parents. It was a Batmobile with remote control. And when I got that Batmobile, the whole day when I got that thing, I was like, I just, I couldn't get enough of it. And, and of course, a day or two later, either I broke it or my wicked, vicious sisters uh, broke it. Um, and, um, and I was crushed. I was crushed. Like, it was like, such a, you know, obviously, I remember it. You know, I remember it. Like, you know, I remember where I was when it broke. Like, it's like children process their reality in the same dramatic way um, that adults do. And therefore, when a child is going through uh, a problem, no say ba'ol im chavero means... Again, now this is a child who is cognitive. I'm going, to, I'm going to also talk about a child who is not cognitive in the same way. But a child who, like, so for example, um, you know, a child who says, how come all my friends have this technology? iPads, Xboxes, whatever, whatever the thing is, right? Um, or the, or my, I teach in the girls' school, so, you know, the concept of a bad hair day is alive and well, you know, in, in a girls' school. Like, my hair is terrible today, you know, whatever, all the, you know, and like, so a parent, um, very often, right, a parent is going to, um, a parent is going to, you know, deny or reject um, that feeling. Um, a child will, often, a parent will often, um, you know, without thinking about it, you know, say, say something that will show, like, no, I don't really, I don't believe what you're saying. So, for example, um, this particular example that uh, presented in this article, when a child says, I'm hot, right? So a parent will say, um, it's cold in here. You know, keep the jacket on. Uh, a child will say, I hate my hair. And the parent will say, no, your hair is beautiful. Right? Um, or, who's looking at you anyway? Right? Or I'm I'm terrible at math, right? And the parents say no no no, no you, you're very smart. Um, so uh, you know you don't need the iPod. It, it, it's it, it's too expensive. Or um, you have a lot of friends. You wouldn't even have time to use your iPod. Or iPod or you know the 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 Balmuser. iPod I, iPads are for people who are self-involved and don't care about the environment. Earphones in the ear can damage your hearing, right? All the, so what's going on there? What's going on there is, it's not that your kavana is Hashem Shamayim. You, your intention is to really wean the child away from a value system that's not yours. You know, but the way you're doing it is by denying what is the feeling right, of the child. Now, we all learned this when we were getting married, or we should have learned this, that feelings are reality, you know. And if the, if, the, if the spouse will say, you know, I'm feeling uh, ignored, and, the, and, the, and maybe the, excuse me for being so this, right, and the husband will say, no, what do you mean? I'm spending so much time with you, whatever. You know, it, how could you say that? And the, but, the, but the spouse, but the wife says, no, but I'm feeling ignored. No, but you no, know, you, why, why are you feeling that way? You know, or, or they, there's no, so that's, we know that that's a certain insensitivity because 
they are feeling that way. The shaila is, right, how to get to the shoresh and to figure out what exactly can be done to, to figure out you know, how to change that feeling. But no say ba'ol im chavero, in these examples, right, requires the recognition that, um, that you have to first recognize what the person is feeling. What the person is feeling. And that, that type of attitude of no sebo and chavero is critical in the long run in a relationship between parents and children. If a child does not feel that the parent is the address to have their feelings um, uh, uh, accepted, then at some point the child is going to say, okay, this is not the right avenue. This is not the right avenue. Um, and and um, so 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 lemushal I want to give I want to share um, four techniques four techniques that are very practical very tangible um, to be able to enhance the Indian of being no say um, and then I want to bring it down to a younger age child so number one number one when a child is talking to you, look at the child. Right? Look at the child. And listen with full attention. Respond right, at the right intervals. Like, aha. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, again, it's like a Dvarim Pshutim. I'm saying Dvarim Pshutim. Of Ayah Levine, one of the most beautiful stories. Um, that I like to share. I'm not going to tell everybody. Like, you know, our our foot hurts us. You know that story. I'm not saying that story. I hate that story because 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 I'm, I'm so far away from that that it's just hard for me to relate to. And so, I, but Rabbi Levine was a very busy man. So some and, and he was you know, and I can relate to that because I'm a very busy person. And and at some point in my life, you know, somebody once gave me a stock a piece of musr. And he said, you know, it doesn't seem like you're ever listening to me. But this is not my wife who said that to me. Um, and what I took from that is, and I, then I read the story about Ryan Levine, and it really clicked home, that Ryan Levine was very, very busy. And sometimes he'll say to someone, he'll say, he'll say to the, um, he'll say to the person, you know, I don't have a lot of time now. I, I have three minutes right now. So in the story that I read, the person said he only had three minutes, but during those three minutes, he had all the time in the world. My, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a strange dilemma. You might find this because you're not at that stage in life. But my kids call me at random times during the day. I have a son in Eretz Yisrael, so he'll call me like you know, and I'll see the phone phone. My, I not, it's call ID now, right? So I see. That's my son. Should I pick it up? Should I not pick it up? So busy. <laughs> I'm going to pick it. So I pick it up. I pick it up. You know, and 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 we talk. And sometimes we'll talk for a half hour. You know, but sometimes I just mamish don't have the time. So we'll talk for like two, three, four, five minutes, and I'll say, you know, Yaakov, it's so nice talking to you. Can we set up a time that we can talk like tomorrow? Because right now I just I have to go. You know. But what what was the message? The message is. You know, we had a good, we had a three-minute schmooze, you know, and it was like a real, we had, we had a, an exchange of, of regesh. And, and that he recognizes, you know, and I recognize sometimes that's the other way around. You know, uh, some people might have heard of the famous uh, sefer uh, called Cats in the Cradle, right? Written by the Mechaber uh, Rabbi Chapin. So, so, so. So, you know, sometimes the kids, I get that back also sometimes. I get that back also, you know, kids just like me, right? But, but, right, during the time that you, that the child is emoting, right, and it's not, this is, this requires behavior modification and requires the recognition of what parenting is, right? This is the most important thing in the world for these minutes. My child is feeling, has a certain regesh, and let's say you mamish can't do it now. So you say to the child, okay, I see that something really bothers you. I'm going to come in like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Half hour, hour, 8 o'clock. And, but 
you, you're saying it's chashuv, right? And I want to listen. And right now, I just don't have the yeshiva das to do it, but I'm going to do it. And then you do it. So first step in no sebo chavero, practicum number one is attentiveness, full attention and eye contact. Panim el panim. Face to face. So we do this one story that again, if you've heard me speak over a year or two, you've probably heard the story at least once. But my my uh, person that I look up to as a Rebbe, one of my Rebbe, his name is Moshe Weinberger, he shared the story that when he was a kid, and he used to get into trouble a lot, he called his father one day from the principal's office. And his father, he said, you know, Tati, I need to speak to you. And uh, he said to his son, is everything all right? He said, he said no, it's not everything's not all right. So he said, can you wait a moment? And he, he said, sure. This is when the phones used to be attached to the wall. Remember those days? No, you don't remember those days. But you go to a museum, you'll see that there used to be <laughs> phones used to dial, the whole thing. I remember those days. And um, he describes how it's a, it a period of time. And uh, during this period of time, he didn't know this at the time, his father had a store in Manhattan, I think a dry cleaners or laundry, and he asked all the customers in the store to leave. Kicked out all the customers in the middle of the day. It's like in Israel, you can do that, but in America, you just can't do that. He said, You have to leave now. What do you mean? I have to pick up my shirt. So I said, No, you have to leave right now. He kicked them all out, closed the door, you know, siesta, whatever. And then after like three, four minutes, he gets back to the phone. So, son, I'm ready. He goes, Dad, what happened? So he said, um, I just asked all my customers to leave, and I closed the store. You know, it sounded very important. So he says, but Dad, don't you have to make a living? So he, he, he said to his son, He said, I have to make a living. But I also have to live. I have to make a living, but I have to live. Right? So, th- number one, no sebo'an chavero, to give your full attention, and you have to recognize this is very chashav. I can't take full attention, rec- um, sometimes, you know, yes, aha, aha, right? Women are much better in this episode than men. Empathy is much more natural for most women. Second um, is, and again, no chidushim. You express, this might sound artificial, you sound so upset. right? You give a name to the feeling. You sound frustrated. You sound like you feel like you were wronged. Right? You, uh, you know, violated, whatever the right, you know, whatever the right precise terminology is. You give a name to the feeling. Right? Because then, ah, this person chaps. This person chaps. Um, number three. Okay, uh, number three. You verbalize what their rutzon, what their rutzon is. You really want that iPod. You really want that. Nobody wants an iPad anymore, I'm sorry. You really want that iPad. You really want the phone. You really want it. I see you really want it. And, and your friends have it. I get it. I get what you're saying. And I, I understand it. If you express it in that way, so then even if you're going to say, empathy is not, empathy is not that you give in to every whim of the kid. Right? That's not what we're saying. You have standards, you have goals, you have, you know, let me tell you, let me share with you, I understand you really want it. And, it, and I really wish, in my Ratz of Pnimi, to give something, they will give you simcha. I want you to do nothing, I want more that you should be sameach, you, you know, your simcha is my simcha. I want to share with you why I can't give it now. I want to share, it's, I want to share why I don't think it's a good idea for you to have it. Have it. I want to share with you, like, you know, let's talk about it. Yes. Right. Like an older kid, an adolescent age. Yeah. Their response to me yeah. is, well, if you really wanted me to have it, then you would just give it to me. You wouldn't, you know, withhold it. Right. So part of that is, I know you, it's, I know you feel that way. And it's, it sounds like you really feel that way. But I'm trying to explain to you why, it, why it's not the case. And... I get that you feel that way. But really, in the deepest place, I want you to have simcha. 
Like you have to sort of like, but it's not that simple. No, it is that simple. Like, you know, it, also if you give a kid a chance for a sound bite, your mom is like, you, you have to really stay on message sometimes. And by the way, this is not, this, what's the name of this year? The Imperfect Science. I was very precise in that terminology because you're looking at a highly imperfect person. I violated these rules kiseder, right? But if it, I'm saying, but the nakuda of staying with the child and validating their rutzel is still something that will make a roshan in the <laughs> long term. And it won't always be effective in the, in the short term. The child, maybe, maybe you don't really mean it, and the child chaps that. Or maybe the child just, just wants it. Just wants it, you know? Like, and we have, there are other parts to parenting also, not just empathy, it's modeling. Modeling. Oh, uh, you seem to have 17 iPads, and, you know, you get the latest model. So if it's really, you know, if your value system is, as you say, how come, right? Like that, so that also could be a point with it. So at, and whenever you look at a Mida, so it has to be seen in the context of a, of a broad spectrum. But certainly, certainly this is a very key aspect of, of practical parenting. Yes? Yeah, I think um, I can just relate to that as, my parents had for me as a teenager that at the time it's almost like your obligation to fight back like but why but why can't I do this but why can't I blah 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 but like I think deep down I really appreciated that they had structure and now looking back for sure I'm like that made so much sense that they didn't want me to whatever it was right you know so I think like they're gonna fight you back because they're saying this is what I want this is what I want but like if you stay consistent with it like I feel like kids sense that it's coming from because they love you. Right. You know, that, that right. they get, like, it doesn't really, wouldn't really make them feel better if you just were like, okay, fine, gave it to them and then ignored them, you know? Like, if you're talking to them about it and being consistent with right. your message. Right, very good. Now, that's a, so there is the point that, the additional point that you're making that I did not make you, that is, it's not just a question of, you know, stay with it in the long term, but as a child, a child looking back, Right, they'll have a new way of looking at that experience. Right, you have to wait, like right. 10, 15 have to wait ten, fifteen years. You know, sometimes that's pretty. That's, that's pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, but like, I feel like adolescents' brains so don't process things the same way. So they might be hearing it, and then later on they'll process it and be like, "Make a lot I, I, more I wanna, sense." I want to. I want to. What was First of all, it's a double push at the adolescent brain. It's just from a, from just from a from a it's chemical. Not it's not fully developed, right. but. I want to share with you that I'm not an adolescent, but husbands' brains also, <laughs> right? Sometimes they'll be very mocked in the beginning, and then when they have a whole night's sleep to think about it, they'll realize, you know, it's really not the hill to die on, right? They'll look back at it and say, you know, it's really not worth it, you know, or it's not, that was a little bit, you know, so it's not only, like, people in general need time to process things. Right. Um, and that's also part of, I think, what part of, you know, being strong and consistent is the idea of recognizing. You know, maybe we'll have, maybe we'll talk about it. You know, again, we'll revisit the issue and you know, in a, in a day or two or three, and think about what I'm saying and try to process it, etc. Um, and the fourth, very practical um, etza um, that I want to share with you, in, when it comes to let's say kids who have a, a way of a cognitive in that way, is to use. Not just to name the feeling, not just to verbalize the rutzen, um, but also um, to use words of that are no sebal mchaveru. So the particular words that they say here um, are like you know, you know, it's so I'm so sorry, it's so sad, you know, too bad, it's so bad, you know. I don't know for me, I don't these words don't work for me in the same way. But to figure out the lexicon where you can express your you know, to use the words, okay, I'm so, I, feel, I feel bad. I really, it sounds like, you know, you're really suffering. I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry for your pain. Like a bad mess. But that's another thing. That, like, anything, any compliment that you give that's fake, you know, uh, any kid's not, a, kid's not academically gifted, right? You say to the child, oh, that was like, you know, that's a, like a fantastic answer you gave. You know, wow, that's amazing. How did you figure out that, uh, you know, the letter between... E and G was F. Wow, that's amazing. How did you like, like, you know, kids are not, you know, they might not be academically gifted, but they're not idiots. Kids hop when you say, you're, every 
expression that's to a child really needs to be evaluated is it being said with a sincerity. You can always find, you can always find something good, something real to be mishabeach a child about. We didn't get to this part yet, but empathy also, if, let's say you don't really, you think the kid's a spoiled brat, he doesn't need another, this, you know, so, so maybe you don't, it's hard for you to say, I feel really bad for you. Maybe, right, you know, but you could, you can say something like, you know, you could say, I, I see that you're really struggling with this. And it bothers me, and I'm, I'm, I'm sad that you're struggling. Like, I don't want you to struggle in that way. I, I, you know, you could say that, like, you know, and you might think, well, what a spoiled kid, like, but you still, but that's, it's not a stereo, it's not a, it's not a contradiction. What, this is also the way Tversky makes the point, which I think is a far more profound point, um, of ap- applying empathy, and I want to re- share with you what he says here about young kids. And that's no gay to every- almost everybody here. Um, what I said is no gay to a lot of people here. You know, kids already four, five, three, four, five already have what to say. They already have days, you know. But um, but kids who are this is a kid who are one, six months old, one, two. Where's empathy there? Where's empathy there? What do you, like what, what do you mean? Like they're not expressing themselves. No, what do you say? Where's empathy there? Where's no Sebalam Chaver with a two-month-old? What? What's... Transmit like, you know, I, I, you know, you feel, I, I, I hear your pain. Are you saying like, you know, uh, right, like the, right, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. I think that's a very good, a very good point. I want to read to you what he says here. Um, it's, I think it's very important for the Olam here. Um, and, okay. So profound. Why is empathy so critical in good parenting? It may be helpful to demonstrate this by use of an extreme example. The problem with abusive parents is often that they are unable to be empathic. They may see a crying, crying baby as being disobedient, as if he is ungrateful and intentionally trying to upset them. We can see this tendency even in competent parents when they are extremely exhausted or overly stressed. Under such circumstances, there is a failure of empathy and a tendency to personalize the child's conduct. That is, the parents may feel as if he or she is misbehaving on purpose. Empathy is a thought process that requires making an inference. The mother, looking at the crying baby, has to make an inference to guess why her child is inconsolable. Research has shown that competent mothers are good at guessing. And they command a repertoire of guesses based on their knowledge of babies in, gener- in general and this baby in particular. The mother may change the baby's diaper. And if this does not help, she may assume that the last feeding was not sufficient. Based on her knowledge of the baby's personality and her past history with the baby, the mother will be able to generate a number of other interventions and explanations, one of which may be that the baby is tired and is crying himself to sleep. Because the mother is empathic, that is, tries, here's the Yunikuda, tries to see things from the infant's point of view, she does not make the drastic mistake of the abusive parent and is able to soothe her baby and take care of him in a reasonable fashion. To see things from the children's perspective doesn't always mean to express it verbally. Okay, this child is yelling like crazy. Obviously, he doesn't want me to sleep. Right? That is a selfish, like, but understandable, you know, type of response, right? You know, and I'm very upset at this child. Like, you better, like, you, of course, we know when we have, when we are not sleep deprived, we know better. But, so he said, he writes, the father of a large family mentioned to me that with her 10th child, he and his wife had to alternate nights holding the baby for the whole first year of her life. 
She was extremely cranky and would not settle down like the other children had. This busy mother and father were able to give the child what she needed without undue resentment because they were able to read the child's needs. Their empathy provided a foundation for competent pairing, parenting. The little girl eventually outgrew her crankiness as today a lovely sense of a child. Now, now, okay. Now, I am not, yeah, I am not here to tell you that that is what's in store for you, God forbid. But one thing we do know is that we do know that <laughs> you know, right? What we do know that this nakuda of children sometimes they, what we think is irrational, right? Acting in an irrational way, it's because we look at their lens through that of an adult. I'm gonna, I want to. He has a few more of these particular nakudas. I want to share with you. I'm, I'm going to end the share in a, in, a, in in four minutes. Um, I want to share with you an amazing story. One of my favorite stories. Let's just say, say this, Nakuda. Um, there's a, a gadol in the world of education. His name is Rick Lavoy. You can you can Google him. L a v o i e. He's Malay Chachma. He's Malay Chachma. They may, used to as as uh, teachers. They used to make us go to in services and things like that, so that you know we'd have to say for meetings and. Whatever it is, I think it was really to just to remind the teacher what it means to sit in a desk and have to listen to people. And all teachers are ADD, so I was never able to stay for the whole, you know, in service night, coffee, and this and that. You know, we're like the teachers, are like the worst students in Lamaisa. But, but there was this one video called Fat City. You could probably get it online now. Fat City. I think it's frustration, anxiety, and tension. Fat City. It's a classic. It's a god. It's godless, sheba godless, and every parent should read it. Should read it. Should see it. Um, because it really gives you a window into what a child who has certain learning disabilities is facing. Um, but in the context of this, of it, so this Rick Lavoy is, you know, part is a big major person in that in that video. So he he shares a story. I don't know if it's Dafka there or I heard it some other place, but he shared the following beautiful story um, that when he was a child, he was a big Red Sox fan. Now people here who have little ideas in baseball know that the Red Sox had a lot of. Uh, frustration and futility until recently, from 1918 till 2000 and whatever, they didn't win a World Series. So the the one of the best Red Sox teams was 1967. The Mets were to beat the Red Sox in the in the, in the uh, 60, what? 86. You know, 86 was Red Sox. Mets, right? 67 was Yaz, Stremski, but they were a very good team. They did not win the World Series. And so this Rick Lavoie had an uncle who had a baseball signed by all the Red Sox. Uh, players, and his uncle passed away, and he arshened the baseball. He was a big, he was very proud, he was very happy. Not that his uncle passed away, but then he got the baseball, and uh, he comes home with his baseball, and his four-year-old kid says, "Dad, you have a baseball? Can we play? Can we play baseball?" So he says, uh, "He says, no, no, no. He says, but you have a ball. He goes, yeah, but it's look, it's all dirty. You see, it's all dirty." So he says, uh, so he says, okay. So, you know, he, everybody goes to do the things. A few minutes later, four-year-old kid comes out and goes, Dad, <laughs> can we play now? <laughs> it's all clean. <laughs> right, right. So his father, so, so he says, He's, he licked all the writing off of the, of the you know, and he and he said at that moment he said I had several options to I had several options to consider, but I saw this through the beautiful four year old and I saw it through his eyes. This was really right. This was really his desire. This is his desire to want to connect with me, right? So that is a grand act. His madrega of empathy, right? Uh, you know, I, I don't remember the details. My wife remembers the details much better. But somebody in our family once gave the other sibling a haircut. Um, you know, and you know, and it was uh, you know with the scissors and all things. It was like you know, a three year old gave a two year old. I don't remember exactly who gave what. And it was a haircut, you know. And we were like rather stunned. You know, my wife. I think you know my recollections. It wasn't so happy about it. Um, you know, also the lines weren't so straight. So, yeah. But it was really, it was really because 
I had just gotten a haircut. And they wanted, you know, so they wanted her to look like me. You know, so okay, there's a few details that are missing in the, right? So that, that, that's not an act of malice, right? So Rabbi Tversky says, Rabbi Tversky says, um, back to this Nakuda here, in raising young children. Um, not all children are equally easy to raise. Some children are more difficult, more taxing, more demanding. Um, differences in temperament. Some babies can sleep through an earthquake. Others wake up at the slightest sound. Some wait for the bo- some waiting for the bottles is easy. Others seem to experience hunger with intensity that there's barely time to warm up the formula. The more demanding the children, more demanding. Sometimes referred to as difficult children. You heard that term, a difficult child. What? <laughs> Referring to a child as difficult puts the weight solely on the child. <coughs> this label fails to reflect that raising the difficult child is a two-way street. The problem of difficulty is not totally inherent within the child. The parent who is able to rise to this occasion can complement the child so that they together can form a functional duo. It is the match of parent and child that is important. If the parent cannot empathize with the child, then, then there's a then there's a, the challenge. Of course, the question of the nature of the child and the task posed to the parent becomes more intense. The child is born with health problems, developmental abnormalities, um, or exhibits conditions that are out of the ordinary. Empathy is more than a simple strategy. It refers to a state of mind that allows for competent parenting. Investing oneself in the child, into the child requires the ability to be empathic. Having the right understanding of the child and putting ourselves into his shoes allows us to temporarily suspend our own needs. Lack of empathy may result in seeing children as an extension of ourselves. What I like, they must like. If I'm hungry, they're hungry. And treating them primarily as a means to fulfill our own needs. This Abosai is a big avoda. It's a big avoda. The avoda being no say ba'od chavero. It's not only the avoda for parenting, it's the avoda in life. And it certainly requires a lot of thinking, a lot of presence of mind, a lot of connection. But the Ezra Hashem, if we're able to work in this Midah, um, then we will, um, I think, we will see appreciable benefits and gains in our Kesher with our children, in our ability to develop a real relationship of communication. I'm going to leave you with this story, um, and then we'll, you know, this share might be more than three parts if, if people want it. You know, it, you know, uh, but uh, really depends. I don't think. I don't know. We're going to meet next week. Can we get in one more week before Pesach? Yeah. So, yeah, that works. Okay. So then we'll meet. We'll meet next week. Meet Hashem. Um, I'll leave you with this. With this Nakuda. This Nakuda. Um, the ability to be that person who's no say but all the is not only about sharing, feeling a person's pain. It also, and sometimes this could be even a little bit harder, it also is about being misameach, feeling a person's accomplishment and joy. I got a call today from one of my children. That was like in the middle of an intense conversation with somebody else, like an hour plus conversation. And this child called me up to say, you know, I got, I got, it was just, he was offered a certain position, and it was like really, you know, he was very excited. I said, oh, that's so nice, you know. But it was like, it was a quick, that was so nice, you know. So the child said to me, that's all? Yeah, I've been working, like that, that's the whole thing, like that's it, like, you know, you know, like on to the next thing? You know, I have an open relationship with my children in that way, like, you know, it's a great, very chilled in that way. I stopped for a moment. You know, and I realized really what was happening was I, I hadn't left the mindset of the previous conversation. So I was, you know, so sometimes, right, to be misameach with somebody if you're in pain, right, or to, to be, to, the child, you know, the child comes home with a good score, right, a good, good grade or a great accomplishment. But you maybe, God forbid, might have been told by your boss that you're not doing a good job and, you know, he doesn't know what's going to be. Or some other existential issue. 
that also requires, like, you know, that's, that's hard, right? So sometimes, no say but all is not when you're on the high ground and they're on the low ground. Sometimes you're on the low ground and they're on the high ground and you have to figure out a way to suspend your reality. That's, that, that's, that's, that's an avoda, to suspend your reality. Shem should give each and every one of us the nachas ruach and the wisdom to be able to actualize this bipoa and then be able to feel the, 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 the rewarding nature of the kesha that we have with our children because of it. Thank you for listening. Thank you.